Hi, I'm Amy Watt, and my foster son and I started coming to Great Oaks um, last April and May, kind of full time. We left um, my parents' church that my dad grew up in, and my grandma was actually a charter member of. So even that was kind of awkward to come to a new church, especially being more of an introvert. And so um, I got invited to be on the Washington launch team, um, and so we went to the Washington launch lunch, the first one, and they did an icebreaker where you needed eight people. And so I found a table that had seven people at the time, and so I joined them, not knowing anyone. Um, that was kind of an awkward experience in itself, but everyone was very nice. Cut to about a month later, I started a new client for work, and it was in a daycare um, where Caitlin Moore ended up working. And she ended up, we kind of saw each other for the first time, and that awkward, where do I know you? I've seen you before. Um, and then we realized that she was sitting at that table with me at that first Washington launch lunch. And so within those next couple of months of me coming to her daycare to see that client, we built a friendship. And then right as the Washington campus was launching, she invited me to come to her life group. And especially being a single, being more of an introvert, I didn't want to be a fifth wheel, but she assured me that there was plenty of people and it wouldn't be like that. And I went the first time and I was just welcomed with open arms with um, their entire life group. Uh, my foster son loves being with all other kids that are in their life group and we have just been blessed by it and we've become such good friends and almost like family and I just can't imagine doing life group um, and life without my life group. Good morning, Great Oaks. I am excited to be here with you. We'll be doing this gathering of the saints online um, for a while, I think. And so I'm glad that you're watching and joining. And I just want to encourage you to do it like you normally do it, man. Stand up when you're supposed to stand up. Sit down when you're supposed to sit down over the next few weeks. Uh, get ready for worship beforehand. All of that. Pray with us when we pray. I just do it just like you would be uh, doing if you were here. I know things are a little crazy right now, but I do believe, my prayer for you at least, is that on the backside of this uh, crisis that we're going through in our world and in our nation, that you would look back and see that God has actually drawn you closer to him uh, through this whole thing. And that I believe Great Oaks uh, is going to grow during this season as we offer hope to people who feel hopeless, as we offer peace to those who are overcome with panic. And so make sure that you're shining that light in a dark place. The darker the night, the lighter the bright, or the brighter the light. And so uh, keep doing that. I know things are tough right now, and so I just want to give you um, the most valuable thing I have to give you today. The most valuable thing I have to give you is a roll of toilet paper. And so I know that some of you are out, and so I just want to give this to you uh, from me to you. So here you go. There you go, right there. Um, no, really, uh, I'll send you some toilet paper if you need it. Just email me or message me, and we'll get you that taken care of. Get that taken care of. Galatians chapter 3, if you have your Bible. We are in a series called Awkward on the Vital Yet Awkward uh, Idea of Christian Community. And God sovereignly has us talking about this when nobody is here, and I'm talking to a camera, and so God is 
being funny. So it's going to be a great series. This is week two. And we are using a book or referencing a book here and there called Uncomfortable by Brett McCracken. And I would love for you to get this. Uh, I know you have a lot of time on your hands, so uh, use some of it to read this book. It really is very, very challenging. And I'll give a couple out today. Uh, The way I'll do that is I'll just throw it and see who catches it. No, that won't work. Uh, But if you want this book for free, I'm going to make you work for it. Just take a picture of yourself or your family watching online, uh, if you're presentable, and uh, post that on your Instagram or on your Facebook page. Tag the church, and we'll come through and look at those. You don't have to do it right now. Just take a picture, post it after the service, and we'll come through. And we'll look at those uh, later, and I will mail you this book, some of you this book, and some toilet paper as well. So make sure you do that uh, as soon as you can. Uh, But I know that there's a lot of people joining us that aren't usually at Great Oaks. Maybe you're joining us from far away. Maybe you're here near us in central Illinois, uh, but you're joining us for the first time. You don't know who I am, so let me introduce myself. My name is Pastor Jake. I'm the lead pastor here at Great Oaks, and I'm an introvert married to an extrovert with a bunch of extrovert kids. Life is hard. Pray for me. It's a daily struggle, all right? I, believe it or not, as a, even as a pastor, I'm an introvert. I would choose coffee and a book over a big crowd any day. I don't really like crowds. I don't like the crazy, awkward social constructs we call small talk. I don't like it. Like, hey, how's your day going? And, whoa, what, this weather, am I right? I mean, it's just awkward. Like, I don't... I'm not in. I don't do very well in those situations. And I've learned to be outgoing. I've learned to talk to people, but it's not my number one thing. Like when I go to Walmart and I see somebody I recognize, I avoid them. Like I go the other way. Like I try not to make eye contact. Did they see me? I don't know. My wife, Erin, on the other hand, like sprints to them to say hello and ask them how their day's going. When my kids are like, hey, I think we know those people, then they look back for where I was, and there's just a puff of smoke. I'm gone. I'm on the other aisle, like whispering, abort mission, run, run. They're like, it's Nana and Papa, still run, (laughs) all right? I just, I am an introvert. I don't like people. That's not true. I like people, but it's, it's difficult for me sometimes. I would much rather be at home alone or in a library reading a book or something like that. It can be people, people can be awkward, right? We can be awkward. And I know what you're thinking, like, man, you must really love this whole coronavirus thing, right? I don't love coronavirus, but I do love me some social distancing. Uh, I've been doing social distancing for a long time, so I love it. I love this idea that I'm going to be at home, although I'm not going to be home alone. I'm going to be at home with five other people who want to talk to me all the time. So you can pray for me. And maybe you're thinking, now you are in the wrong career as a pastor, as an introvert. If you don't really like being around people and being in crowds, like maybe you're in the wrong career. I Listen, the struggle is real. Um, I think you should be proud of me, though, uh, now that you know this about me. Like when I'm shaking your hands on a, uh, hand on a Sunday, when I'm here in the crowd, when I'm out ministering, when I'm at my life group, you should be like, man, he must really love us because he avoids us at Walmart, right? And so, yeah, I think you should, you should be proud of me. But doing, doing church community is awkward. Doing Christian community is awkward, and it's, it's uncomfortable at times. Because of all the strange people, right? I mean, let's just be honest. They're everywhere. 
They're absolutely everywhere. You got the oversharers, you got the excessive hug people, you got the angry face people, you got the people with the sweaty palms, you got the people who who don't know how to do a handshake, they don't know what they're gonna do. Are we hugging? Are we fist bumping? Are we elbow bumping? Are we doing the bro hug? Like, what are we doing? Are we handshaking right hand, left hand, thumb tuck, thumb out, thumb war? Like, what are we doing? And some of you guys do this limp wrist thing, and you put your hand in my hand, and I'm always wondering, like, what do you want me to do with this? You want me to kiss it like a queen? Like, it's awkward. You guys are strange. You guys are super strange, right? It's not just awkward. People are not just awkward. They're also, they're also messy, Like they bring in their own mess. Like people are broken and they need help. I'm, I'm happy to help. I want to help. God has put me here to help, but it's, it's not easy. It's, it's difficult stepping into people's mess. People are angry and sometimes they have anger problems and sometimes they point their anger at me with angry looks or angry emails. Usually an email sent to someone else and sent to someone else and then finally it gets to me, but still, angry emails, people, people struggling, struggling with their own pride and their own ego, people struggling with addiction and brokenness, struggling with des- depression, struggling in their marriages, struggling with their kids, people just struggling. They, they, they need prayer, they need advice, they need a person to listen to them, they need, they need a shoulder to cry on and Church is awkward because people are awkward. Church is messy because people are messy. Church is difficult because people have the audacity to be different than me, right? I mean, let's be honest. It'd be a whole lot better if everybody was just like me. At least it'd be better for me. There's this movement in, uh, towards this whole just me and Jesus thing in Christianity, this just me and Jesus kind of view of faith. And, and I get it. People say, I don't need the church. I don't need Christian community. I don't need to connect with other believers. I just got Jesus. Like, I'm good. I, I know Jesus. Jesus knows me. Jesus is enough. I'm enough. All that. And I, to- I get it. And they, they, they either stay home from Christian community. don't do any kind of community, any real kind of community at all. Or they're the in and out people at church, right? The invisible church people. They're the people who come a little early, leave really quickly. They never serve. They never talk to anybody. They never do any of that. Most people wouldn't know if they were there or not. And I I get it because it's hard. Christian community is hard. Church is hard. Entering into people's lives is difficult. They're awkward, right? And in our culture that is just absolutely identical idolizes this whole individualism thing, we oftentimes are much more comfortable talking about our personal faith in Jesus rather than talking about our involvement in, our sacrifice for, our commitment to Jesus's church. The big C, like global universal church, sure, but I think a lot of us kind of stop there. We go, hey, I'm a Christian, so I'm a part of the church no matter what I do. I'm in. Like, I'm already doing church because I'm the church, right? And I'm 
wherever I go is the church. And so I stay at home, the church stays home. Yeah, I get what you're saying. And yet the New Testament talks over and over and over about your involvement in not just the big C church, but the little C local church. In fact, that's how you bless the big C church is your sacrifice for and ministry in the little C local church. That's how it's supposed to work. Like the New Testament spends far more time on that church than the other. The church at Corinth, the church that met in Lydia's house, the church of the city of Ephesus. When it talks about submitting to leaders in the church, using your giftings in the church, coming prepared with an offering to give cheerfully in the church. When it talks about prophets and pastors and teachers and evangelists and apostles in the church, it's not talking about big C, universal, worldwide church. It's talking about the little C Local church, not the church you read about and watch videos about, the church you belong to, the church that knows you, the church that holds you to a higher standard, the church you serve. But I get it, it's difficult, it'd be much easier just to stay home and say you're a part of the church because you believe in Jesus and you wear the Jesus t-shirt, and that's good enough. Or what about this? People say, I, I don't need the church because I've got some friends I hang out with who are Christian. Like, I hang out with some guys. They know me. I know them. We're Christian. We're the church. Not quite. Not quite because your little clique isn't open to everyone. It's only open to those you give access to. And that's not the way the church is supposed to work. So it's good, like Bible study, accountability, it's good. As long as it isn't given to gossip and rebellion and slander and whatever else, it's, it's good. Keep doing that little meeting, but don't think that it's a substitute for the community of faith that the Bible calls the church. Because the church is supposed to be this cross-section of people who are vastly different from one another. I'm supposed to bump into people who are different than me, rub shoulders with people who are different than me, be taught by people who are very different from me and enter into the mess of people's lives who are very different from me. You can't accomplish that by going to breakfast with some guys on Wednesday morning. You can't really accomplish that whole thing by hanging out with some ladies on Fridays who look like you, talk like you, drive what you drive, or in the same season of life as you, vote like you, have the same age kids as you, and whatever. It's not, it's not the way it's supposed to work. That's not the same. And I get it, man. It's easier the other way. It's easier to stop short. I understand it. I just don't think it's biblical. So let's look at this from a biblical perspective. We'll look at Galatians, but two main reasons why we tend to shy away from Christian community, authentic Christian community. People are strange and people are messy. That's not news to you, right? But that's what we, that's why we shy away from it. People are strange and people are messy. Those are the two main reasons. We'll tackle these in the book of Galatians and also in Ephesians if you want to get ready to go there. But let's start with the first one. People are strange. Strange just means that, it means this, different from what is usual, ordinary or expected, odd, not before known, heard or seen, unfamiliar, 
not entirely comfortable, uncomfortable. So when we say people are strange, we're saying they're odd, unfamiliar, and uncomfortable. And all of us want to hang out with people who are the same, right, familiar and comfortable. It's just natural. I get that. My question is whether or not that preference that we have to hang out with people who are not strange in our opinion, whether that preference we have actually lines up with the purpose that God has given us as a community of faith, as the church. Um, We'll look at Galatians. Galatians is written by the Apostle Paul. It's a letter to a church in Galatia. So the Apostle Paul is a Jewish believer in Jesus Christ, and, and he's writing to a brand new church that's in Galatia uh, that is a non-Jewish community. And so most of the people in this church that are reading this letter and pouring over this letter are not Jewish people. They have come to faith apart from anything having to do with Judaism, the law, circumcision, anything like that. But I want you to understand something about what we're about to read. What the Apostle Paul is about to say, it is scandalous, it is big, it is this new, crazy, radical, dangerous idea. Like what the Apostle Paul is about to say is like a grenade. Because Jewish people and Gentile, non-Jewish people at this time, and they hated each other. They didn't hang out. Jews didn't eat with Gentiles. Gentiles didn't associate with Jews. I mean, there's all this hate and all of this animosity. But then Jesus... He died on a Roman cross for the sins of all mankind. And he rose on the third day, defeating death and making a way to the Father. He sent the Holy Spirit for all who have faith in him. All of that happened, not not just for the Jews, but for all nations. And then the good news that what Jesus did on the cross is for everybody, that gospel, that began to spread. And so in Acts chapter 8, we have this Ethiopian black man who's not ethnically Jewish receiving faith in Jesus Christ, being baptized. And so he's the first ethnically not Jew, ethnically Gentile person to give their lives over to Jesus. And then we have Acts 10 where Cornelius receives the word, the gospel, and receives the Holy Spirit. He and his whole house Household. He's the first religiously non-Jewish and ethnically non-Jewish Gentile uh, to believe in Jesus and receive the Holy Spirit. And from there, it just explodes outside of Jerusalem, outside of Israel, and all these Gentiles start giving their lives to Jesus. But listen, those animosities... And that history between the Jewish people and Gentile people, that didn't change. That didn't disappear overnight. The strangeness and the difficulty was still there as these cultures came together. And look at Galatians 3, starting in verse 23. It says, now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So he's saying the law was here for a season to be our guardian until Jesus came. Now that Jesus came and he fulfilled the law on our behalf and made a way for us to be reconciled back to God, Now we don't need a guardian anymore. And remember, the law was given to the Jews, one nation, 
one nation. That's why he writes what comes next in verse 26. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Do you hear what he's saying? He's saying it's not law or ethnicity that, that defines your relationship with God anymore. It's not one nation anymore. He says all who have faith are children of God. That's what makes you the chosen people of God, faith in Jesus Christ. Look at verse 28. He says there is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. This is huge for this time. And if you'll let it be this morning, it'll be huge in your life. Listen, you don't have to be born in a certain place or a part of a certain race to be a child of God. You, you don't have to be from a certain place or a certain ethnicity to have your life transformed by the Holy Spirit, to surrender your life to Christ, to be admitted into heaven and in eternity with Jesus Christ, to live for him. You don't have to be from a certain place or a certain race, but this isn't just about ethnicity, right? Because he also says, he says Jew or Greek, but he also says slave or free. And so listen, it doesn't matter your socioeconomic status. It doesn't matter what tax bracket you're in. It doesn't matter what kind of house you live in or where you live, what kind of car you drive. Because you may think, man, nothing good ever happens to me. Like I'm not worthy. Like I'm not, good stuff just doesn't happen to people like me. There's just no way that God could want me of all people. I'm unworthy and I'm I'm just worth nothing. Listen, you're right. That's true. Before Jesus. Without Jesus, B.C., before Christ, before Jesus came and died for you on a Roman cross and rose back to, to life on that third day, that first Easter, before that, you were unworthy and you had no shot at this thing. But because of Jesus... Through Jesus, you are now chosen of God. If you put your faith in him, if you surrender to him, you are now chosen of God. Heirs of the promise given to Abraham thousands of years ago. And he doesn't just say Jew and Greek, and, and he doesn't just say slave or free. He also says there is no male or female. Listen, men and women, boys and girls are equal before God. At the foot of the cross, because of the cross, we are now equal before God. E equally receiving the promise through grace, through faith, equally being transformed by the Holy Spirit, equally loved, saved, rescued, sacrificed for, transformed, made new, given hope in Jesus Christ. Beloved, Gentiles don't have to go to Jews for salvation. Slaves don't have to go to freedmen and women for salvation. And women don't have to go to men to gain salvation. We are equal. But not just equal, right? I mean, did you notice that it's not really about being equal, not just equal before Christ Jesus, but but one in Christ Jesus. 
And that's different because if it's just equal, then it's kind of something that happened to you and it requires no action on your part. Like, hey, we're equal. Like, I'm, you guys are strange. You guys are really weird. But I'm glad we're equal in Jesus. I'll just stay over in my bubble of same and you stay over in your bubble of same. And you guys are strange, but, I, but we're equal. Glad we're equal in Jesus. Stay over there. That's what we could do if it's just equal, but it's not, it's not just equal. The New Testament demands this active unity in the body of Christ, in the church, this unity that joins together vastly different people because of their common identity in Christ. I want to show you something in, in Ephesians. Just one page over from Galatians, Ephesians Chapter 2, starting in verse 13, the Apostle Paul again is writing and he says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. He himself is our peace. During this time of difficulty, kind of aside here, but during this time of difficulty, where are you searching for peace? Is it in rhythm? Is it in your job or your finances? Is it in your health? Is it in the government? Where, where are you searching for peace? There's only one peace, and that peace comes from Jesus Christ. He himself is our peace. If you're struggling to find peace, it's because you have yet to give your life over to Jesus Christ. I invite you to do that even now. Give him your life because he himself is our peace. Verse 14, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Let's skip down to verse 19, and then we'll skip to verse 22. Verse 19 says, So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens. You're no longer far away from each other going, Hey, you guys are strange. That's weird. You stay over there. You're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Verse 22, In him, Jesus, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. In Christ, we form this new humanity, like the old barrier, barriers of hostility, race, and gender and status and culture that they've been demolished by the cross of Jesus Christ. And now all people are one in Christ Jesus. Why? Because our primary identity as Christ followers should be our union with Christ. If you're a Christ follower, if you've surrendered your life to Christ, then your primary identity as a Christ follower is your union with Christ. It's no longer your traditional sociological, geographical connections, your gender connections, your economic or ethnic connections. It's no longer, this is huge, beloved. Here, here's what I'm saying. Christians who are different than us aren't just equal with with us, they are joined to us. Christians who are different than us aren't just equal with us, they are joined to us. And that is different. As Christ followers, we are a part of the same body. 
united by the same Holy Spirit. We're not, we're not friends and fellow worshipers in the same religion. We're brothers and sisters in the same family. And that's, that's different. I, I understand why we like our own people. I understand why it's comfortable and easy to hang out with Christians who look like us, talk like us, drive what we drive, or in the same season of life as us, vote like we vote. I understand why your life group is made up totally of 60 and above people. I understand why you, as a mom of young elementary kids, that you hang out with other moms of young elementary kids, and you don't really have a lot of connections with people outside of that season of life, outside of your family. I understand if you're single, why you would want to hang out with a bunch of single people and do life and community there. I get it. I understand why you hang out with people who are the same ethnicity as you. Cross-cultural relationships, cross-cultural work is it's difficult, right? It's awkward sometimes. It's uncomfortable. I, I understand it. I just don't think it's biblical. I get it. I just don't think it's what God had envisioned in the church. There's this quote from the book I mentioned earlier, Uncomfortable by Brett McCracken, and it stood out to me. It just says this, until we recognize the beautiful myriad of diversity that can and should compromise the we pronouns of our churches, our we will, most, will mostly be a narrow and narcissistic extension of me. Church made in my image with people who look and talk and worship like me. It's more comfortable that way, sure. But it's less biblical. I understand this. But when was the last time that you had a person of a different race, a different ethnicity, over to your house for dinner? When was the last time you hung out with someone in a generation above your own or a generation below your own, outside of your family? When was the last time you did that? I mean, do you actively do that? Do you actively reach out and do fellowship and community with those who are in different seasons of life as you? It's difficult. People are strange. They're different than us. And yet this is what God calls us to. It's more biblical that way. I said there are two reasons that people tend to shy away from authentic Christian community. First, people are strange. And the second is that people are messy. Let's talk about that for a few minutes. People are messy. Sometimes you segregate and isolate yourself from community because you don't want to enter into other people's mess. You don't want to deal with their problems. You don't, you don't want to be dragged into whatever they're going through. You'd rather just kind of keep your distance, a safe distance from them. I get that because when you let people in, you get all of them. We get their brokenness and they get ours. We get their imperfection and they get ours. We get their sin and they get ours. We get their mistakes and their problems and their sensitivities and their offense and they get ours. It's absolutely difficult. It's easier to stay away, right? 
Because this is awkward. This is difficult. It's much easier to stay on the periphery, to not commit, to stay at arm's length from everyone, to just hang out with our family. Like, I go to church. I go to church with my family. I go to church to get fed. I go to church to start the week off right. I go to church to worship with my kids. I go to church to, to receive. I, I get all that. I, I'm not against any of that. I just think that that can't be it, right? And that can't be our primary motive even, can it? Back to Galatians. Just flip one page over back to Galatians. This time, chapter six. Remember, the Apostle Paul is writing this letter to a church, not to individual believers. Verse one of chapter six says, brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Okay, so it's already messy. It's already messy. You're not going to know if a person in your church community is caught in some sin if you're hanging out on the periphery, if you're on the sidelines. You're not even going to know that to step in and to help them in gentleness. And then when you do, it says, be careful. Why? Because it's messy. Because this thing is messy. You might get caught in their mess and their brokenness and their temptation. It's dangerous. And you go, well, then I'm just going to stay over here. I'm just going to stay out of it. Then I don't want to fall into their their mess. But that's not an option. That's not an option. Even though it's messy and dangerous, you're the answer. So you go help them. Look at verse 2. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. The original law was given to the individual. You fulfilling it by yourself. That's what was supposed to happen. It was, a, it was on you. It will, but it's not that way with the law of Christ. The law of Christ is fulfilled not individually, but in community. Listen, beloved. Jesus Christ, he said something pretty important in Matthew 16. Christianity is not a solo sport. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I'll build my church. Now, this word church is a little confusing. It's what we say in English. It's what shows up in the Bible, in our English Bibles. But church, the English word, actually comes from a German word that means a building where religious activities are held. But the real word, the Greek word, the original word is ekklesia. And it means a community, a gathering of faith, a community of faith. So when, when we say church, when Jesus says church in this, this uh, passage, when the English Bible says church, we're not talking about a building here. Like Jesus goes, I will build my church. Not I'm going to build a bunch of individual believers who have this whole Jesus and me only type view of faith. He goes, no, I'm going to build my church. He says, the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. He's not saying that the gates of hell will not prevail against a bunch of converts that are spread out all over the world. That's not, that's not what he says. He, he doesn't say, I'm going to build a religious institution or I'm going to build a big building or anything like that. He goes, I will build my church, a community of faith, a gathering, a family. And the, the gates of hell will not prevail against that. Here's what I'm saying. The cross the cross didn't create a bunch of individuals who love Jesus. 
The cross created the church. It created the church. Some of you need to wake up when it comes to this. Follow the narrative of the Bible. God makes a people out of Israel. His promises flow through a community of faith. Jesus dies on the cross and rises again. And then what happens? The church is born. His promises and his gospel again move through a community of faith, a chosen people. I mean, who's given the, the stewardship of the gospel, the responsibility to carry and spread the good news of Jesus Christ? It's the church. The Holy Spirit in the book of Acts, he leads the apostles to go out and to preach the good news and to establish churches, to grow churches, not to just go make a convert here or there and keep people, just stay at your house, it's okay. Not like that. It's to establish the church, Jesus' church of transformed people, a community of faith. We are a community of faith that fulfills the law of Christ by bearing one another's burdens. Carrying burdens, entering the mess, dealing with the risk and the danger that comes with that. Dealing with the discomfort, overcoming the awkwardness for the church. So I think some of you, when you read this passage, Galatians 6.2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. You think, man, I don't really, I'm good. I mean, I don't really need that. I'm good. I'm pretty healthy. Like I got... Toilet paper in the bathroom, so I'm feeling pretty strong. I got some bread and some eggs that I got before they ran out at the grocery store. I'm feeling pretty strong. Um, I, you know, I drive a nice car. I have a nice house. I have a good job. I don't really need that whole thing. I don't have burdens that other people need to bear. If that's you and you're thinking you don't need Christian community, you don't need the church, you don't need diversity, you don't need your burdens carried, the next verse is for you. It's verse 3. And it says, for if anyone thinks he's something, then he's nothing. When he's nothing, he deceives himself. If anyone, if anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. I don't think I have to really explain that. Um, you're deceived. Just pray and ask the Holy Spirit to break through, to, to break through your pride, your arrogance, your ignorance, because you need the church. You need the community of faith. But some of you read Galatians 6, 2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. You read that and you think automatically and only about your burdens being borne by others, carried by others. And so, you know, you're thinking the church is where I go to receive. It's where I go to get help. It's where I go to get my problems solved. It's where I go to just kind of unload on people. And they help me carry my junk. They help me carry my mess. They help me figure life out. And you're not, listen, you're not wrong. You're just half right. And I think your emphasis is wrong. Because it doesn't say get your burdens carried or born and so fulfill the law of Christ. That's not what it said. It says bear one another's burdens, carry one another's burdens, and that's how you fulfill the law of Christ. So the emphasis is on you carrying others' burdens, not on you getting your burdens carried all the time. Some of you read this and you automatically and only think about your burdens being carried. If that's you then verses six through eight are for you. It says, let 
the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whoever, whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. Don't, he's saying don't be a consumer. Be a contributor. Be a contributor. You, you may be the one being taught, it says, but you should still share all good things with the one who is teaching. Don't be deceived. So what you sow, you will also reap. You cannot just come to receive. You must also give. You cannot come just to be fed. You must also feed others. You can't come just to consume. You need to contribute as as well. You cannot come only to get your burdens carried. You must also carry the burdens of others. You can't just benefit from ministry. You need to be serving others in ministry as well. And you go, man, that's just so hard though. Like pastor, I tried that. It was too hard. Like people's mess just got to be too big. I just, I can't do it. It's too hard. Or maybe you're doing it and, and you're feeling like, man, I want to give up. This is getting too difficult. It's hard to minister. It's hard to serve. It's hard to contribute. It's hard to give. If you're feeling that way, man, then the next verse is for you, verse 9. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Beloved, you reap the good you are sowing, but, but only if you persevere. Some of you need to hear this this morning. Don't stop sowing that good seed. Keep sowing the seed that God has called you to sow. You need to persevere. Keep serving. Keep bearing others' burdens. Keep giving. Keep going. Keep helping. Keep sowing that seed. Persevere. Do not give up. Because the Bible just said, there's this promise, if you don't give up, in due season, the harvest will come. Don't be deceived. God will not be mocked. That which you sow, you will also reap. And if we don't grow weary in doing good, but rather we persevere and keep sowing that good seed, we will see a harvest, beloved. Maybe you need to hear that. Maybe you're on, at the end. Maybe you're feeling frazzled. Maybe you're feeling stressed. Maybe you've been burned, betrayed, let down. Listen, it doesn't change anything. You keep sowing that good seed, and the harvest will come. I get it, man. People are awkward. They're messy. I get why you'd want to avoid them. I get why you'd want to treat church less like a community of faith where you contribute and belong and, and, and more like a country club where you just show up and get stuff. And I get the tendency to go that way. Man, this is, this is difficult. But it really, it really comes down in the end to, to one thing, right? Self, self-centeredness. Because when we go to church and we, 
We go looking for a church. We do the church hopping thing. We do the church comparison thing. We're always asking, does this church fit me? And does this church line up with me? Is this church like me? Does this church have the, the music I like and the kids' ministry I like? And, and man, is this, is this church going to allow me to stay at the commitment level I like? Like, I don't want to be pushed, but I want to be pulled just right, like a Goldilocks situation, not too hot, not too cold, just right. Does this church have everything I want? Do the people look like me, act like me? Can I relate to them? But that puts the burden on the church to change in order to keep us around, because there's not going to be a perfect fit. That puts the burden on the church to change itself in order to keep us around. But, beloved, that's backwards. We should be a part of a church, a community of faith that challenges us to change, to be more like Christ. I mean, what if, what if this wasn't about you? What if this wasn't about you getting, but it was about you giving? I, I, I was reminded as I was writing this sermon of a time when I was talking to a couple in their 60s um, who had been at our church for a long time, uh, over a decade, and presumably had been Christ followers for decades. And um, at Great Oaks, uh, we require our covenant members, those who would enter into a covenant of membership with us, we require them to, to commit to going to a life group. Because we believe in life groups. We believe in this whole community thing. And we believe that there's just no way to follow the commands of Christ regarding his community of faith called the church, you know, in a 30-second greeting time on a Sunday morning. And so we, we ask our, our covenant members to go and, and commit to going to a life group and being a part of a life group. And, and this couple was meeting me in my office, and they had a problem with that. They didn't want to do that. And, and so the lady uh, said, I, I don't want to go to a life group. And I said, well, why, why? Why don't you want to go to a life group? And she said, well, I don't, I've been before. I didn't get anything out of it. I didn't like it. I, I went. I didn't, I didn't like it. She said, I, I'd rather go to this other thing. I think our church should do this thing. And she named, you know, the latest and greatest, you know, study or curriculum or whatever. I don't even remember what it was. But she said, I, I, we should do that. That's, I would like that. And just as, as lovingly as I could, I just looked at her and I said, but what if, what if life group wasn't about you? I mean, here you are in your 60s, decades of following Christ. We have, we have young moms who need to be discipled, young women who need to be discipled, young couples who you guys can disciple and lead and pour into. I mean, what if life group wasn't about you and what you get and, and being what you like? What if it was about others, what you give? I'll never forget it. She looked at me and she said, you're probably right, but I'm still not going to go. And that was the last I ever saw of that couple. Beloved, what if you went to life group? Not for you, but for others. Not for what you get, but for what you could give so that you could be there for someone else rather than just get what you want? What if you committed to Great Oaks, entered into 
a covenant relationship with this local little C body of Christ, this local little C church? What if you committed, not, not on your own terms, like when it's easy and convenient and you agree with everything and the pastor is perfect, but, but what, if, what if you committed in this kind of better or for worse kind of a way that would keep you here despite disagreements, despite difficulty, despite the awkwardness, despite discomfort and imperfection, despite, you know, a, a larger church opening up with a better preacher or a smaller church you find out about that does church the way you did it as a kid? What if you committed in a better or for worse kind of a way that kept you here? What if, what if your issues with other churches and other leaders in your past, what if, what if they're not because of the other churches and the other leaders? What if they're because of you? What if, what if you've just got this thing backwards? What if what's easy or comfortable isn't God's will for your life? What if you were like another couple that I know in our church who are in their 70s or 80s? I'm not sure. I've never asked, but I'm guessing 70s or 80s. Keith and Jill. Keith and Jill were presented with a similar situation as the couple I mentioned a minute ago, and they, they were going to go to a life group. Uh, they were asked to go to a life group. Uh, they may have been in a life group that, that wasn't meeting anymore or something like that. And so they're talking to me about this, and, and they said, Pastor, we want to we wanna go to a life group. Uh, we, they said, we don't want to go to a life group full of old people. <laughs> Those were their words. And they said, we want to go to a life group where we can where we can pour into young people, where we can help, you know, people with the experiences we've had in our lives. And, and they got it. I mean, they got it. They, they understood that life group wasn't about them. It wasn't about what's comfortable. It wasn't about looking around and seeing everybody who's the same age as me, you know, same as me, same season of life as me. But it was about what can I give? How can I give? How can I disciple? And so we plugged them into a new life group. Um, they're not the leaders of it, but they are by far uh, the ones with the most experience, <laughs> the most life experience, and they are able to pour into other people. Jill is just a prayer warrior. Keith is full of wisdom, and that life group is flourishing because people who are at times as young as 18, all the way through young marrieds and having kids and all that, are able to be poured into by this couple. And then those in those generations and in those seasons of life are able to also pour into Keith and Jill. And that's the way it's supposed to work. Listen, I, I'm an introvert. I avoid people I know at Walmart. Christian community is difficult for me, it's awkward to me at times. Like you got the excessive huggers, you got the sweaty palm people, you got the people who just always have an angry face on, you got the people who can't figure out what we're gonna do with the handshake. It's super awkward. People are strange and people are messy. My brokenness interacting with everyone else's brokenness, my sin bumping into your sin, my mistakes bumping into your mistakes, my shortcomings affecting your shortcomings, man, this thing is absolutely different, difficult. But at the, in the end, in the end, it's, it's worth it. The mess is worth it because these are my people. The imperfection is worth it because these are my people. 
The sin that I have to deal with is worth it because these are my people. The hard conversations are worth it because these are my people. The disagreements that we have to work through are worth it because these are my people. The difficulty, how hard it is, the awkwardness, the discomfort, the fact that I have to persevere, it's all worth it because say it with me, beloved, these are my people people, my brothers and sisters, my family. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your goodness and your mercy. Thank you for your word that is both timely and timeless. Timeless in the sense that it never changes and timely in the sense that it always changes us. God, I give this time to you. I Ask that whatever was of me would be quickly forgotten. But whatever's of you would haunt us, stick with us, change us. That it would, like good seed, find good soil in the hearts of many. As you're in your, in your homes watching online, I just want to encourage you to close your eyes and find some quiet and just have a moment with the Lord. Just ask the Lord to speak to you. What is it that God wants to say to you from this message today? Maybe you need to confess of some self-centeredness. Church has been about you, about consuming, about receiving, rather than contributing and giving. Maybe you need to confess of some pride. You've let silly disagreements get in the way of your worship, of your Christian community. Maybe you have yet to become a part of the community of faith, Jesus calls the church. You're at, on the periphery, you're on the sideline, you're at home every week. You're not normally with us or with any community of faith. Maybe you have yet to give your life over to Jesus Christ and take that first step. I just I want to give you a moment to pray and confess and make a decision for Christ no matter where you're at. Don't let this end without doing that right now. Lord, I ask for those who are far from you, God, just like in Ephesians 1 or Ephesians 2 that we read a minute ago, that those who are far from you would be brought close to you through the blood of Jesus Christ. That something in this message that you would use it, Holy Spirit, that you would draw people to yourself and to your church. We love you and we give all this into your hands and we trust you with it. It's in your holy and precious name that we pray, amen, amen. Thank you so much for joining with us online. Uh, we appreciate that. And as always, I wanna challenge you to get into a life group if you're not in one yet. Uh, just comment and we'll get you in one or contact us and we'll get you in one. And, and those are still meeting uh, during this crisis. They're just doing so on Zoom. And so um, make sure you get connected with a life group. We'll help you, just reach out to us. As always, I want to encourage you to not just be dismissed from this service, to not just close out this service and stay the same, but to be sent. Be a light in this dark time. God bless. Worship with us. One last song. We'll see you next week.